0: Hello everyone, this is Beyond La Code. And if you're tuning in, I am your hostess with the mostest, Pearl Way, your favorite meninated tech policist and advocate for digital rights. So thank you to everyone who listened to the last episode. And for a recap, we spoke about Generation AI and how new technologies are likely to impact children's rights and how this project kind of brought me into the space of tech policy and digital rights. And if you listened, I hope you're able to share with your younger ones and siblings on the likelihood of these new technologies to collect data on children younger than 13 and see you know ways to protect your children online. Now, for today's episode, I titled it Zombie Predictions. Um, this episode basically talks about... Or within biases and how it affects people of color and minorities in the United States and most importantly in the criminal justice system all over the world. I'm excited for this episode because I have a guest speaker who is amazing and is going to speak and shed light on this issue. But before we get into this, I have some breaking news. Now, you know what they say? health is wealth, right? So for those of us who have Fitbits and we know we love to run the miles, track our heartbeats, see how good we're doing every day, Google recently acquired Fitbit for $2.1 billion. Expensive price tag, right? But at what cost? So there have been a lot of privacy concerns that Google could target you with ads. Now that they, they know like how your heart is, you know, functioning, they could target you with drugs on how to you know keep a healthy heart. With the location settings on, they could also track you and can tell you, oh, go to this favorite shop, go to this favorite smoothie shop after your run. So those are the type of privacy concerns that are being raised with this new acquisition. What do you think? Do you think that? you know your data is safe in with Google although Google has you know released that it will not target us with any ads um with this new acquisition but i feel like something is definitely going to happen only god knows what now to the episode for today our episode is, like I mentioned, zombie prediction. I'm pretty excited because as a person of color, I know how this topic has been a recurring issue in a tech system. Algorithm bias is such a huge problem. With new technologies coming around, there is the concern that a lot of these technologies do not recognize people of color. So for instance, there, you know, there was this time where I don't know if they've corrected it, but but Certain um, cars, you know, would not recognize a Black person crossing the road. That's a problem. Certain CCTV cameras would not recognize a Black person. It's a problem. And so these kind of issues um, tend to translate into bigger issues in the criminal justice system. And so I have someone on this episode to shed more light on this issue. Her name is Renee Cummins. I love that name. I love the name Renee. I'm obsessed with Renee because I hope to give my daughter the name Renee. And I'm really excited to have her in this episode. I like to call her a triple threat. So first of all, she's from Trinidad and Tobago. I met her on LinkedIn, you know, um, through in a third party. And I realized that she was equally interested in AI and interested in algorithm bias to ensure, you know, equality and diversity in tech systems. And so I call her a th- Triple Threat because this woman has been a journalist. And then when she moved to America, she studied psychology, neuroscience, and criminology. <laughs> I don't know how badass a woman can be, but this is how badass it gets. Um, this woman, particularly, now works in criminology to ensure, and she works with law enforcement, you know, officials, to ensure that these systems, these technology systems, are, you know, fair. Making sure that they are safe on the platform. Making sure that they are not targeting people of color, black or brown people, or basically minorities. So on this episode, we're going to take the time to explain these things. Most importantly, we're going to take the time to define these things. So a lot of times you hear algorithm, you hear implicit biases, inherent biases, what is fourth industrial revolution, those type of terms that we hear a lot, but we don't know what it really means. Renee and I are going to discuss in depth about what these terms all mean. And, you know, like I would say, sit back, enjoy because Renee honestly speaking with her I realized that I have a lot to do when it comes to speaking on the podcast or speaking in public because she is so eloquent like listening to her literally gives me goosebumps I'm just like wow I'm just I'm in awe of how amazing she sounds of how she's able to articulate you know these type of issues in such a clear and you know concise manner and i just have like so many quotes she like she drops a lot of gems that i hope would inspire you to you know take up more space especially if you're a person of color especially if you're a minority to realize to take up more space in the industry you do not have to be a coder like she actually mentioned this you know later on in her conversation you don't have to be a coder to take up space in the tech industry just you know, creating a niche for yourself. And that is why Beyond the Code was created, for you to take up, you know, space, you know, to push boundaries in the tech industry is what this conversation is all about. And so if you got popcorn, if you're on the road going to work, if you're going to the gym with your Fitbit, sit back, listen, and enjoy. All right. Thank you so much for hopping on this call with me and being on my podcast today. It's such an honor to meet you. I read so much about you and I'm just really thrilled to speak um, with you about um, certain prevalent issues that are currently affecting us with new technologies. So just starting off, I just wanted to ask about like your background and how you got into the space of AI, implicit bias, inherent biases, and everything about Renee' comments.
1: Well, oh, thank you so much. First of all, let me say it's quite an honor and a pleasure to be participating in your podcast, and equally, I'm as fascinated by your work. So yes, I'm Renee Cummings, and I'm a criminologist and a criminal psychologist. But I began my career as a journalist, a print journalist, working for a newspaper, and then I became a broadcast journalist working on television and radio at the same time. When I migrated to New York, I decided to uh, study media, and I did that for quite some time. And uh, after media, I decided to move into psychology. And it, while I was doing psychology, I fell in love pretty much with rehabilitation and therapeutic jurisprudence, looking at ways to reduce reoffending and support uh, offenders uh, when it came to re-entry and re-socialization and, let's say, reintegration, you know, uh, returning citizens coming out of a system of incarceration and coming back into society. And while I was doing that, I, I decided to pursue advanced studies in criminology and terrorism studies and throw a little bit of neuropsychology in there. And I also and some forensic psychology uh decided to uh capture that criminal psychology space. Mm-hmm. And let's say within our uh, recent years, I think it was in the uh mid uh uh you know, when, when technology was really becoming uh, the hip thing to do, I started to look at that, uh, particularly looking at ways that technology was impacting our uh, crime prevention, uh, coming from that law enforcement and uh, policing space and looking at uh, technology within that remit. What really impacted me is when algorithms were being used or uh, the advent of algorithms in the criminal justice system. Right. And I, I became very nervous there because I said, mm-hmm. you know, imagine the impact on the life of an individual, a family, a community, exactly. if AI gets it wrong in the criminal justice system. And I started to think about those potential risks and challenges. And soon thereafter, ProPublica did that expose where they looked at risk assessments in the U.S. criminal justice system and how these assessments were classifying, ranking, and assigning offending. And while these risk assessments or these algorithms that were creating these risk scores were being used for expediency and, and driving criminal justice reform, what it was doing was impacting equity and making some serious decisions about people's lives. And what we were seeing is because of the uh, historical racism and biases in the data, what Mm -hmm. was happening with people of color, Mm -hmm. black and brown people, were being, uh, receiving the uh, higher risk scores and were really uh, being uh, detained uh, in spaces and places, uh, really in a discriminatory way, and of course, We started to see what was happening when it came to predictive analytics, uh, when it came to what we call predictive policing Mm -hmm. and uh, surveillance tools that were being used. And and that's what I said to myself, you know what? Uh, Criminal justice has got to be the conscience of artificial intelligence, because that's one of the places where the impact, if not done properly, could be really detrimental to an individual, a family,
0: a community, a society. Wow. Thank you so much for that summary. Reading your profile and just seeing, for example, like how many degrees you've earned, like your triple threats in this, you know, in this area, and just how you've spoken so eloquently about these issues is such a pressing concern. I mean, after doing research at Berkeley and realizing that these algorithms are most likely to impact people of color, especially looking at, facial recognition and like the inability of these AI to recognize people of color, especially black women. You know, it's said that like, they're most likely to not recognize black women looking at research by Joy and other scholars in this space. Um, it's really a growing concern and problem for you know, people of color. And then like you coming into this space, like what have you seen so far? Like, you know, doing your research and like working on implicit bias or inherent biases what can you, like, you say has been done so far? Or what can you see um, there be making, being any progress in this space? Well, I think what we're
1: seeing, and we're hearing a lot of noise now when it comes to algorithms administering justice. And I think criminal justice is really starting to wake up to what's going on. So we've seen these risk scores that quantify the likelihood that a person will recommit a crime. We've seen the algorithms making decisions. We've seen the uh, criminal justice system outsourcing decision-making to algorithms. But we've also seen what they call these opaque algorithms, which are now frustrating due process and reinforcing racial disparities. We're seeing what some scholars have called zombie predictions, where the predictions of the algorithms are systematically overestimating risk. So what we're seeing is how algorithms are rewriting the rules of criminal justice and changing the ways in which justice is administered codifying the unconscious bias, Mm -hmm. codifying the institutional and structural biases. We're seeing that criminal justice data could be very dirty, but we're also seeing that when it comes to the commercial software that's being deployed in the criminal justice system, that practitioners have got to speak up and they've got to ask some really serious questions. Now, AI is fantastic. I think that AI is probably the most exciting technology that mankind is engaging with i love the space it really really excites me but it also makes us think of where there is promise and where there is extraordinary promise there is also extraordinary peril and i think what has to happen now is that we have got to bring more diverse intelligences into the space of artificial intelligence and that whole fourth industrial revolution movement we've got to bring the criminologists the psychologists the ethicists the the other legal practitioners you know the social workers the education specialists neuropsychologists all of us in that space to really understand what is happening with this technology. And for us to really understand uh, how do we ensure AI is diverse, is equitable and inclusive. But we've also got to find reasonable ways where we can regulate the use of AI. That's very important because we've got to ensure that AI is understandable, it is auditable, it is responsible, it is accountable. We've we've got to look at those things. And I think criminal justice, where we're seeing that database discrimination can impact people's lives, where we're seeing these widespread biases. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about Ruha Benjamin and her book Race for Technology. And she Mm -hmm. is out at Princeton, an academic. She operates, I think, at the intersection, I would say, of technology race. and and justice, and she speaks about the fact that what we are seeing sometimes is how these forms of uh, exclusion and inequality and bias and discrimination, how do they slip in the back door of design optimization, you know? Are we engineering inequality? I know. Why are we coding such inequalities into the design process? So we've got to look at these things. So where I'm, I mean, I'm totally for AI. I love interacting and engaging in the space. It is new technology. It is really, you know, uh, I think humanity has all to gain, but humanity has a lot to lose if we don't get it right.
0: Thank you so much. All your points are truly valid and just for people who are listening in and are not really conversant with this space, please, can you like define certain terms? I know like we hear these terms a lot, but some people aren't so familiar with what they actually mean. So a definition of, in your own opinion, what algorithms are and what inherent or implicit biases are.
1: What algorithms are? Well, algorithms are like, I tell people it's like a recipe. It's the ingredients for a recipe. That's a simple thing. So if you're making a particular meal, you know you need particular ingredients to give you an outcome. So algorithms are just like any other recipe. So if you want a recipe to reduce a particular uh, issue when it comes to crime, they come up with all different types of are uh, ingredients that you're gonna need in there. So some of the things that if we wanna really think about it, uh, when we're looking at algorithms, when it comes to creating uh, risk assessments for the criminal justice system, uh, some of the ingredients that they would use to come up with a recipe would be things like prior criminal histories, arrest records, gang affiliation, mm-hmm. uh, your probation, parole status, recent police contact. Now, many of these things are discriminatory and that is how discrimination slips into the classifications that are used to come up with the codes needed to come up with those risk assessments. when it comes to implicit bias, we think about each of us subconsciously having our stereotypes and biases. Now uh, some biases are good, uh, some stereotypes may work for us, but there are many that don't work for us. So some of the implicit biases that we may have may be about things like race, about poverty, what makes someone poor. We have implicit biases about weight as well, hence things like fat shaming, right? We have biases about who is a victim, who's not a victim, about what is discrimination, about people's education levels. These are all about beauty. Uh, we have biases uh, when we think about Eurocentric beauty, being exactly. more uh appealing or more uh recognizable in the sphere of beauty that afrocentric beauty hence the reason we had black power and the black is beautiful movement and now we have this whole whole uh natural hair movement where black women are reclaiming themselves and their identity so so those are some of the things that create those subconscious biases but what we're seeing particularly within the american context is uh, given the history in this country of of racism, uh, many of those old biases, while many things have changed, many things remain the same. And many of those old biases find themselves into the design process. What we would look at will probably be called default, you know, discrimination that's already in there.
0: Thank you so much, Renee. Um, Another definition, just for clarification, what would you say is the fourth industrial revolution? So for IR, like everybody has seen it around. Um, in your opinion, as a criminologist, how would you bring in the fourth in, um, industrial revolution into the criminal system?
1: Right, so I think people may think of the uh, first industrial revolution, uh, when we think about it, that may be the advent of the printing press and when we were able to spread word. Then we know we had steam and we had electricity. The fourth industrial revolution is really an extension of digital technology, which now embraces what you would call machine learning in particular, and uh, looking at how machine learning and artificial intelligence is now changing the ways in which we interact with each other, with society. And with the tools around us. So I think if people want to look at it that way, that's what you get a sense of the fourth industrial revolution, which is now uh, digital technology really expanding through uh, machine learning and of course AI.
0: Thank you, Renee. Relating to machine learning, like bringing it back to machine learning and um, inherent biases. So in your opinion, would you say that like machine learning like if we're trying to define machine learning in relation to the criminal justice system would we say that machine learning is how we feeding these biases this you know stereotypes like in form of like big data and then train these systems this ai that eventually now creates the you know racism or the like you mentioned zombie predictions would you say that is an accurate or you know implied definition of what ml is for the criminal justice system?
1: Well, I would think what it really is, is looking at the data and the data sets and looking at how is that data being processed. Of course, asking yourself the question, is raw data ever really raw? That's important because what we are seeing is, I think uh, I would refer to her again because I think she was really brilliant. Uh, Ruha Benjamin in her book, uh, Race for Technology, she uh, speaks of what is called the new gym code. CODE, as opposed to Jim Crow, which was that situation or that that system Mm -hmm. that uh, repressed and discriminated uh, Black people in the U.S. So what she's saying is, who's feeding the algorithm? What are we feeding the algorithms? How is the data selected? Who's selecting the data? So we've got to look at how data is being used, how it's being gathered. Right? how are the systems or the algorithms are being trained. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we using new technology to create old divisions? We've got to look at that. It's very, very important because what we are seeing is if we look at machine learning within the context of criminal justice as a way of choosing expediency over accuracy, what we are realizing is that data quality could lead to harm. And even when conditions are optimal, no algorithm is perfect. So when it comes to machine learning, what we are saying is, who's at the table? Let's ensure that the people who are at the table designing these systems and these processes are diverse, that it is inclusive, and the design is equitable. Because what we want to ensure is that we reduce these racialized predictions that we've been seeing in the criminal justice system, that we don't use data to amplify historical and institutional discrimination, that we understand that there are hidden biases in algorithms and that data sets could be biased. So what we're saying is make the seat at the table diverse, inclusive, and equitable, and maybe, just maybe, We will be bringing more diverse intelligences to our design when it comes to machine learning and artificial intelligence
0: thank you so much renee i wish you could see me just nodding my head and snapping my fingers yes yes yes. i truly agree (laughs) thank you thank you so much for that it's, it's a bit of segue to you know the criminal justice system. What would your opinion be about um, facial recognition? Like how current CCTV cameras or surveillance cameras these days have the ability to you know scan and you know detect people of color over you know white people or people who are like non-minorities. What is your opinion about that?
1: well I think when it comes to facial recognition I know as a criminologist and someone who specializes in law enforcement and police training and really training uh, police officers and members of the protective service I think facial recognition excites the police a lot because I think all across the world uh, policing is dealing with high uh, levels of, of crime particularly homicide violent crime and I think from a law enforcement law enforcement perspective we're really excited about technology and anything that we we could use to reduce crime and reduce offending and and reduce uh, violent crime in particular and reduce the amount of people who are becoming victims. But we've got to be cautious because I think what facial recognition has shown us is how good technology can do bad things. And we've got to think about that because what we're seeing is that people of color, children, women have greater chances of being misidentified than others. And in the criminal justice system, that means that what could happen is that, again, we can disproportionately arrest black and brown people through facial recognition. And we don't want to do that. I think when it comes to facial recognition and when it comes to a lot of the other technology that's being used for surveillance and predictive policing, we've got to put a little pause on that. We know that San Francisco has decided not to move forward with facial recognition within certain contexts. Mm-hmm. Other cities are looking at that. I think uh, the technology should be continue to be developed, but I think uh, you know when it comes to really using that in the criminal justice system, there's got to be some sort of moratorium on that. We definitely need more information, and we definitely need to ensure uh, we know one of the the greatest challenges of law enforcement has been implicit or uh, you know unconscious bias hence the the, the Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen how biases among uh, law enforcement can cost lives and then destroy communities and create uh, what we would call intergenerational trauma and pain. So we don't want more of that. So what I'm saying is continue developing the technology. But again, you've got to make sure that it's really crisp until it reaches to that point where, you know, we, we don't have to to double check it and triple check it. I say let's put a pause on it because it can cause more harm than good.
0: Thank you so much, Renee. As a woman of color, how has your experience been, like in the past decade, navigating like these type of spaces, like being, you know, criminologists working police officers, which is like you know majority of these people are white, or even in these tax spaces, like we know that you know majority of these people are you know white. So how have you been able to like navigate the spaces and like make your opinion heard? Um, while for the criminal justice system and advocating for minorities?
1: I think uh, one of the things that I've been able to use would be my uh, history in media.
0: So coming from a
1: space of journalism, coming from a space of television, I've been really able to fuse media, and media has given me an extraordinary platform to advance many of my ideas and to be called upon, uh, particularly in that media space, to give expert analysis and um, to really deconstruct a lot of the things we see in the criminal justice system. I would say my biggest challenge right now is a criminologist moving into the space of artificial intelligence and particularly being a a woman of color uh, in that space. I think we are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in uh, uh, tech, but we're not seeing it. We're reading about it. I mean, every day there are so many articles, a preponderance of articles that come out, you know, advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the technology space, but we are really not seeing that at the pace that we need to see it. The other thing is to really convince the world or the tech world that you need to get diverse intelligences into the design space. That if you're designing something Uh, for the community or for something for policing, uh, you need criminologists there. If you're designing just something for society, you want to have those diverse intelligences there. It's very important because if we don't create systems that are diverse, equitable, and inclusive, it means we're undermining the deployment of AI. And I, I keep saying that AI readiness, really requires diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is technology for all of the world. So I'm really hoping that by using my voice more and speaking more when it comes to uh, technology, AI, and using criminal justice as that spyglass into AI and asking the criminologists, uh, or criminology and criminal psychology and criminal justice uh, be the conscience of this great technology, I think a lot of people are listening to me, and I'm being heard more and more, and people are now inviting me to speak more and more, and, and I think I'm getting that message across, but I'm really hoping that as the technology advances, that the uh, big tech companies will start to open up the space and ensure that it's more inclusive, and ensure that we use this technology to empower and not to exclude.
0: Thank you so much, Renee. Yes, a lot of people are actually um, recognizing and listening to you speak. I know that you were recently at the female wave of change. Congratulations about that. And thank you you for taking up space, Um, just being an inspiration to younger women of color trying to come into this space. It's always nice to see role models who we can emulate um, to actually keep up the fights you know advocating for people of color so what advice would you give to upcoming women of color so for example me (laughs) coming into this space and other women of color or even people of color who are like you know the younger generation trying to continue this fight what advice would you give to us um the legal system with the criminal justice system in America and even just worldwide as an Islander I'm an African so what would you say you know for developing countries and continents what would be the advice
1: well first of all I want to say there are lots of powerful women of color in tech right now uh, particularly in I many of the, the uh, scholars, uh, when we think about them they are the ones who are advancing a lot of the scholarship when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion In artificial intelligence. So I just want to give them some praise and thanks and celebrate them uh, because they've been doing uh, the groundwork and a lot of women who are not of color who have been raising the issues as well. And I just want to say, you know, Kathy O'Neill and her weapons of, of mass destruction are very powerful for waking the industry up. And making that call and advocating for women of color, what I'm saying is this space is your space. No space belongs to anyone. Every space belongs to all of us. Know your power, know your strength, right? Celebrate your diversity and your brilliance and just enter the space. If it means kicking the door down, if it means you know, jumping through a window, you know, whatever the pathway is there. I keep saying when it comes to AI, many people believe that the only way you can get in is if you code or if you're a data scientist. And I'm saying, no, there's got to be different entry points into this technology. So just find a point of entry, enter and just say, I am here. I am here and I'm not leaving.
0: Thank you so much. Yes, I actually, like to your point of the point, um, the point of entry, yes, a lot of people believe that, you know, if you're not a data scientist or a coder, and that's why my podcast is Beyond the Code, um, just to emphasize that there are so many other avenues to get into tech and create an impact that is beyond the code. Like if it's policy, law, criminology, Neuroscience. There are different ways and there are different avenues to create these policies to, you know, ensure you know better rights on the platform and using AI. Um, another question as an Islander, like you're from Trinidad and Tobago, and I'm from Nigeria, and just like I keep wondering how these new technologies are going to impact developing countries or continents, and what do you think is your take, like in the next five to ten years, like how these new technologies will impact us? Do you think it will be for good? Or
1: Well, I'll tell you this, you know, I I celebrate the positive impact of the digital revolution, as well as I look at those unintended consequences and the new ethical conditions and questions that are being raised. Lots of ethical issues. I think what we're seeing is that although AI is a source of considerable global prosperity, it is creating another division between the countries who are really are developing the technology and the other countries who are really not developing anything. So what we're seeing is that this unequal AI implementation is now widening global inequalities and widening uh, the digital divide. And uh, countries, uh, we would say Caribbean nations or or some African nations or Pacific uh, Asian nations that really don't have the resources and really don't have the technology, they've got to come up with a strategy. They've got to get involved because uh, that divide between uh, who has the technology, who does not have the technology, who owns the data, who does not own the data, that is going to really create society in future years, and it can create more inequalities, more discrimination, and just more harm that we we don't want to see as a society. That's why we've got to ensure that when it comes to AI design, development, and deployment, that it is diverse and it is equitable, it is inclusive. Very important.
0: Thank you so much, Renee. Um, On a personal note, what would you say keeps you motivated? Like, you know, speaking with you, I can feel your passion. I can feel your energy and just exuding from the microphone. And I just wonder what keeps you going? Like, what are your hobbies? What like music, for example, just keeps you motivated every single day to keep up this fight?
1: Well, I think it's about change and it's about uh, loving people and it's about wanting to see uh, a better society, a society where we are all, uh, you know, engaging in that process. I like say AI gives us an opportunity to reimagine the world that we want. What we need to do is reimagine a better world instead of using this new technology to just recreate the old world that we're living in. I think when it comes uh, to what, keep me motiva- what keeps me motivated, uh, it would be uh, looking at other young people. I think young people keeps me absolutely motivated. And I think one of the things that I always try to do is to put a, a helping hand out. And as I keep walking up or I keep climbing, I just keep pulling people up with me. That's what I do. I'm really committed to coaching and to mentoring, and I do a lot of mentoring and providing a lot of uh, career advice to individuals who want to get into any field, and just providing that level of motivation for people when it comes to music, I'm old school, I'm a big Diana Ross fan I think anything from Lady Ross keeps me motivated I listen to her music when I'm getting ready for work, when I'm home, when I'm down, when I'm up, Um, I think my favorite Diana Ross song would be Love is the Boss you know, and uh, I think life keeps me motivated and of course my my beautiful uh, 16 year old daughter, when I look at her, I know I have a lot of work to do and I just want to ensure that when she is where she's supposed to be she continues the work that her mom has been doing
0: oh that is so beautiful um thank you to your point like mine is Beyonce I think she's probably, <laughs> probably the of my generation of your generation yes, yes. when Beyonce came out yes. I was already uh way into
1: my 30s there, yeah but uh, Beyonce is a powerhouse she yes
0: she absolutely. really is she, she gets uh,
1: every day. <laughs> and she represents, me. you know, right. uh, woman power. She represents, and, and, and being independent. And she represents, yeah, about a woman just going out there and taking what she wants. Right. I think she she knows how to
0: do that. Right. Exactly. She's amazing. I think all my friends know how much I embody Beyonce. Like, just, you know, putting it into my work ethics and just putting it into school, you know, trying to finish grad school. Everything has just always been you know, to be as equally independent and powerful, like, you know, as Beyonce. So, yeah, I'm so glad we have those kind of, you know, role models Ah. in our lives to keep us motivated. Um, And, you know, just as you mentioned, like you love to coach and mentor, you know, I'm reaching out now to, you know, ask to be coached and be mentored by you, because I know that you're doing so much in this space and I would love to learn. And I'm sure those people who are listening would also, you know, would love to reach out to, you know, learn from you, especially going into the space, what career would fit them best to make the best impact for society. And
1: definitely, uh, definitely, they could reach out to me on any social media space, you can share my information. It is a pleasure. And I also say to people that mentoring is reciprocal, because we're all coming from different ages, uh, different experiences. And as I mentor, I am being mentored in the process as well. As I inspire, I am being inspired and motivated in that process. So I look forward to your inspiration as well.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Renee. Um, So as we round up, I just want to ask for, like, one last, you know, piece of advice or one last, you know, thing for us who are listening, you know, because right now people think, okay, what is the future going to look like for especially people of color? So what is that one last thing to, you know, to close us off on this episode?
1: I think uh, the future uh, is going to be extraordinary for people of color, for all people. I think as people of color, it is important for understand, for us to understand the future is ours. I think we have enough bright, bold, beautiful people of color in the world, in all industries, making impact and making uh, an extraordinary difference. I think it's for society to stop thinking of the division And really think of our commonalities, because we are seeing uh, the the things that can happen if we stay divided, we are seeing those things, we are living some of those things. I think we've got to come together as people first, and we've got to uh, find strength in our commonalities. And we've got to work together to really create the society that we want, because we've seen the society, because I think many aspects of what we're living now, we know that we don't want. So use technology, use our skills, use our talents, use our gifts, use our beliefs and our strengths to create a greater space for all of us.
0: Thank you so much, Renee. This has been really ins- um, insightful. And wh- whoever is listening, I hope you know to continue the charge to keep asking for equality and equity in this space, diversity and inclusion, and most especially accountability from companies who are creating these technologies. So once again, we just um, listened to Renee Cummins, who is a criminologist and AI influencer in the space, fighting the good fight to ensure. Equity to remove inherent biases amongst um, AI technologies, especially in the criminal justice system. Thank you so much, Renee.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Pearl. It was certainly a pleasure, and congratulations with all that you've achieved, and best of luck with the more things that you are going to achieve.
0: Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye Bye bye. Bye. Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You too, darling. Bye bye.
0: Bye. And that is the end of that conversation. How did we feel? I'm hoping that you guys took down notes. And if you didn't, I got you. So I took down notes. I have show notes. I've taken a lot of quotes, in my opinion, that really like some precious gems that really dropped. And I'm hoping to share them with you on Instagram, on my Medium page and on LinkedIn. So don't worry. I got you. So, now we're moving on to another segment of the episode, which I love, which is called Segway. Before the segue I mean, you know, plays, I just want to give a bit of context. So, I have this hidden talent called, um, of spoken word. You know, it's like dramatic poetry, for lack of a better term. And a couple months back, I auditioned to be the commencement speaker at my graduation. I had a typical speech the usual go forth and conquer and I just felt like it wasn't good enough you know I was like I could do better like I wanted I wanted to speak from the heart I wanted to speak from experience I wanted to inspire basically and so I sat down and I just like kept on just ranting and thinking okay what can I do to inspire people and I came up with you know this this title called not good enough and I think a lot of people feel, feel that way. You know, I recently put up on Twitter, I put up on Instagram, just basically saying not dash enough. And I asked people, okay, what is your adjective? Like, what is the first thing that comes to mind? And lots of people were like, you know, not pretty enough, not, you know, confident enough, not financially buoyant enough. Those kind of, you know, scarcities, those kind of inadequacies. And I'm here to reassure you that you are enough, period. There's... Nothing you know nothing too big, nothing too small that you cannot conquer. There's nothing too big, nothing too small that you cannot achieve with your abilities. And so this segue is to remind you, to reassure you that you are enough. So here it is good enough. That phrase, every night before I go to sleep, I hear it, I feel it, you hear it, you feel it, not good enough. On the TV we see, it. not a size 2, not a Kardashian, not a million followers, not good enough. The color of my skin, the texture of my hair, not good enough. My sex, the person you love, the God you worship, not good enough. In this hall, as we graduate, the job's uncertain, the OPT on sign. not good enough. Carl Wankatel, I have something for you today. Nemo dat kod non habet. You can't give what you don't have. If you see yourself as good enough, the world will see that too. But I tell you, in this moment, we are conquerors. We have traveled the seven seas. We have crossed the Niger to be here in this moment with our families, with our professors. They have seen us as good enough. And we are good enough. When I was younger, I called myself Queen Pearl because... I was told I could not be called a queen because a king had not put a ring on it so I was not good enough. But ladies and gentlemen I told that person that if the crown fits I would wear that crown because I. I'm good enough. And so, Kawan Katel, I challenge you today to not see yourself as good enough. You are beyond that. You are kings, you are queens, you are a constellation, an alignment of stars, you are a voice of the voiceless, you are the hope of the generations to come. You are in this moment, at this point in time, irreplaceable, unchangeable, the class of 2019, for all the bar reviews, the U.S. fundamentals, for everything we faced, Facebook graduate student housing, losing our way without Google Maps, the Healy roads of Berkeley. Remember that we are kings and queens. The society would always change its mind. But the throne would always need a crown. In this moment, I ask you to embrace your crown, your flaws, your generation, your sexual orientation, your race, jobs uncertain, religion, 2,000 followers. Embrace it all because in these moments, they are the moments that define you. And there can only be one you. You are kings, you are queens. Embrace your crown in the form of this mortar board, and no matter what the world throws at us, we will be ready. These two means not good enough, but Dalu, shishe, gracias, merci, grazie, thank you. thank you again for listening to this episode this is episode three the zombie predictions um, before I go I just want to give you guys my usual data detox tip for the day so last week was changing your name of your, either your laptop or your iPhone or your iPad. So for those of you who still have it as Michael's iPhone, please take the time to change it to something that is unique, but not personally identifying. Now for today's detox tip, change your location settings. So I like to call it... WYA where you at so your app is basically asking you where you at every single time you do not turn it off so your game app doesn't need to know where you are at, at any given point in time. Um, these location data, like you know, little you know points here and there, can actually make up a whole lot of intel about who you are and your movements, which can be tracked by per- by private companies or even governments. So today, please take the time, look through all your apps and. You know, the other time, I asked people to delete all the unnecessary apps. So if you have deleted all your unnecessary apps, look through your necessary apps and turn off all location settings. You don't need them to be on. And if they need to be on, let it be during the times that you're using the app and not when it's offline. And so that is the end of the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you learned a thing or two about algorithm biases, inherent biases how to take up space, especially as people of color and realizing that there is so much to give in the tech industry. You know, we're in the fourth industrial revolution and there's so much that could happen um, towards minorities in the criminal justice system. And I hope you learned a thing or two on how to just like create awareness, most importantly, on how to change your location settings, and how to be a better global citizen and just ensure safety while using the platforms and while using tech products. Once again, this is Pearl Way, your favorite hostess with the mostest, and you've been listening to Beyond the Code, the podcast on tech policy and digital rights. Signing out from the Bay Area with love, XOXO. Bye.